Um, this verse is a, is a very interesting verse. The first time I actually heard this quoted was with uh, Joni Erickson Tata. Do you know who she is? Um, she actually quoted this, and it just always stuck in my mind. I actually memorized it, and um, I found it very interesting from her perspective. Uh, this is one of the verses that she clung to after her diving accident. And uh, so I want to read it together. Uh, it fits with where we're going today. This is Exodus, the fourth chapter, and verse 11. Would you read it out loud with me, please? The Lord said to Moses, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes the deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Isn't that an amazing verse? Sometimes we think of these illnesses or maladies and we think that they're foreign to God, but sometimes, um, particularly verses like this, it says, you know what, I'm the one that gives that. Why? Not to hurt, not to harm, but to bring glory to myself. And uh, that's where we're going with our scriptures today. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Thanks for the word of God. We ask for your Holy Spirit to navigate our own hearts in our unique places uh, we're all at different spots, we're all at different maturity levels, we all have different needs when it comes to you, and the great thing is, is that you know every single one of us, and you know what those needs are, and so Father, I pray that you'll just bless us as we continue to see Jesus head to Jerusalem, uh, being prepared for himself, but along the way, continuing to love people, and for that, we give you thanks. So bless us, we pray, as your people, may we be a blessing to you as we listen and as we apply this to our life today. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. On June 27th in the year 1880, a baby girl was born to Arthur and Catherine in Tuscumbia, Alabama. It was their firstborn. This little girl was like any other beautiful girl. She was walking and talking by the time she was one. But around 19 months, she contracted a very high fever. Some think it was scarlet fever or yellow fever. Uh, the result was the same. This little girl, so full of life and potential, seemed to have lost all of that. For when the fever broke, her parents noticed that she was unresponsive to any sound. She constantly bumped into things or lost her balance. And no longer did the little one attempt to speak the few words that had been a part of her new vocabulary. The illness had left her unable to speak, unable to hear, and unable to see. Young children like this especially during this time of, of the, uh, the, the century, were usually sent to asylums where they would live out the rest of their lives imprisoned or separated from the rest of the world. They were basically treated as castaways or throwaways, a burden upon society with no value. But thankfully, Arthur and Catherine did not do this. They hired a teacher from Boston, a Miss Ann Sullivan, she specialized in working with blind and deaf children. So this throwaway child became the first woman to graduate with honors from Radcliffe University at the age of 20. She went on to Harvard Graduate School. She eventually helped start the American Civil Liberty Union, 
with a focus on creating laws to curtail discrimination against the disabled. She became a world-renowned author and a lecturer and established centers for help for the disabled all over the world. Her friends included Alexander Graham Bell, who from the time she was little was working on hearing devices for the hearing impaired, and a man by the name of Mark Twain, I don't know if you know him or not, helped her with her writing skills. And of course, her name was Helen Keller. Unfortunately, her story is unique. Worldwide, children and adults with such disabilities are thrown away. They're forced to beg on the streets just to survive. They've become what a number of writers have called the invisible humanity, invisible individuals who litter the streets of our cities and towns or sit in tenement housing stoops with no purpose, no contribution to the betterment of society, and we choose not to see them. They are unimportant. And we choose not to visibly see them because they visibly communicate to us that we all are broken. We all have broken lives. And we just don't want to see that in ourselves. It was like this in Jesus' day as well. There were many who were disabled. We want to look at one particular incident that Jesus encountered on his way to Jerusalem. And I want you to look with me, please, if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, or if not, just look right up on the screen. As always, I'll put it up there for you. Verse 35 says this, And Jesus, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Blindness at the time of Jesus was a complicated theological issue, actually. Leviticus 19 and 14 commanded the people, Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God, for I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. Deuteronomy 27 and 18 says that anyone who leads a blind man astray on the road will be cursed. This and other passages made it very clear that you are to protect the disabled, especially the blind. But also at this time, no man who was blind could serve in the temple. If you had any sort of physical impairment, you were disqualified from actually serving God um, as the normal Leviticus uh, uh, tribe was supposed to do. Compounding this, it was a very common belief that if you were blind, it was because of sin. Either yours or your parents. That's what Jesus addressed in John chapter 9. And of course, the answer to that was, who, do, who sinned, the man or his parents? Answer, no one sinned. This blindness from birth, per Exodus 4, this blindness was given this individual for what reason? To bring glory to God. And that's exactly what happened. Look with me at verses 36 and 37 as we move through. When this blind man, when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. I can imagine that his heart started racing at this point. 
No doubt he had heard the stories of Jesus and his miraculous healings way up in the north, but he thought, how in the world was I supposed to get there? No one's going to take me. And even if I were to get up there, there's no guarantee that Jesus is going to address my situation. But you see, here he is. Where is he? I don't know. Did he already pass by? Have I lost my chance at this miracle worker, this Messiah? And so he does what a blind person sitting and begging would normally do. He yells out for the person of Jesus. Notice this in the next verse. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I'm sure it was uh, 10 times louder than that. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Notice that he does not use the same language described uh, that the others describe Jesus as. The one who was from Nazareth. He is Jesus, the son of David. Church, that's the messianic title for the one who is to come, the anointed one of God, the Messiah. See, although he was blind, he could clearly see who this man was. Have mercy on me, he cried. It's a very, very familiar passage of Scripture when it comes to sinners in God. Jesus used this language when he spoke about the, the kind of heart that one must have when you truly worship God. For example, he said two men came into a temple, into the temple to worship. One was a religious leader and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like those other people. I'm thankful that I'm not a robber or an evildoer, an adulterer, or even anyone like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. He's a very proud and arrogant person. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that that tax collector rather than the Pharisee went home justified before God. For whoever cries out for mercy receives it. It's not the ones that are enamored by this teacher, those intrigued by the teaching that they get. They, they're the ones who are blind. It's the man or the woman who knows to the very core of their being, that they're broken and that Jesus is the only way to be healed. You see, those are the ones who are actually able to see. And so the man pleads to be acknowledged. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. That, that first verse is a colloquialism in there. There's a, a common phrasing in there. We would say this, those who led the way rebuked him and said, shut up. That's what they did. Shut up. I have my own theory on that first verse as well because I've seen this multiple times as Jesus moves to different places. I think those who led the way were his disciples. Because we've seen that before in the scriptures. And if I'm true, then the people who were supposed to be followers of Jesus, leading the way to Jericho and then to Jerusalem, 
were the very ones who turned back to that, that blind person and said, would you just shut up? You're disturbing the master. He doesn't have time for somebody like you. He doesn't have time for broken people. Wow. But that man did not give up. In fact, he shouted even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's, you know, it's amazing what desperation will do. You don't care what other people think. You pray louder. You, you shout louder. You study harder. You show up to church when no, el- no one else in your family wants to go. You come down to the altar for prayer after the service. You set aside your pride and your personal comfort, your personal embarrassment, because there's nothing more important to you at that very moment than hearing or being touched by Jesus. And nothing is going to get in your way from having that experience with God. Nothing is more important to you than being touched by Jesus. It's because I'm going to sing. And you're going to sing this at the end. But this song came so forcefully at me when I was praying through this text. And you're free to sing it with me if I can get it in the right key for you. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do That's a prayer, church. And I think that's what that blind man was singing. Don't pass me by. Don't walk by me and not see me. Don't walk by and not touch me because I so desperately need you. That's what that hymn's talking about. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. Let me at the throne of mercy find a sweet relief, kneeling there in deep contrition. Help my unbelief, trusting only in thy mercy would I seek thy face. Heal my wounded, broken spirit. Save me by thy grace. And all God's people said, please, don't pass me up, God. So that's desperation, church. That is, what do I need to do? What do I need to say? Where do I need to go? I just need Jesus in my life. I need something to change. I'm broken and I can't seem to fix this. And in the midst of people literally telling him to shut up, the man cries louder and louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus responded, look at the next verse. Jesus stopped, and I find this very interesting. What did he do? Notice the language. I'm always watching words. Jesus stopped, and he ordered. He didn't ask. He didn't suggest. He gave a divine commandment. 
you go get that man and you bring him to me. I don't know if that speaks to you about when you pray, what happens in the heavens. When you call out to Jesus and ask for mercy, I think God sends forth a million angels and says, you go to that man or you go to that woman or you go to that child. God hears that and he gives a divine command from heaven to rush in to that person who so desperately needs mercy and grace. He ordered that that man be brought to him. And when the man came near, Jesus asked him this question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? You see, the question and others like it have always puzzled me a bit. I mean, is it not self-evident what that guy needs? What do, you, what, do you, what do you want? What do you want me to do? Well, Lord, I'd like a million dollars. That's what I'd like because then I wouldn't have to be begging on these streets for money every day. Just give me a really nice house and let me live trouble-free. That's all I'm asking, Lord. Lord, uh, give me a really nice, beautiful young gal to lead me through the streets. And I'm not going to know if she's beautiful, so you can give me anybody you want, but I, I, I kind of like to be specific, but you know, I want people to notice me when I'm down the street that they don't have to pity, pity me anymore. I, I don't want to have people look down on me, Lord. I, that's what I want, Lord Jesus. That's, you know why Jesus asks the question, church? Because sometimes we don't have the right answer. Sometimes we need to confess What's wrong in order for us to receive what we need from God? You see, why did Jesus ask this man about what he needed? He asked because it's not about seeing. It's about believing. It's about testifying to our greatest need and his great mercy. I was once blind, but now I see because of Jesus. What do you want? And he very clearly tells him, Lord, I want to, I want to see. And in a very simple, forthright manner, Jesus responds to that. Jesus said, receive your sight, your faith, has healed you. I want to talk to you about two things in that little passage right there. The first one is about the word healed. That word healed in, in the original Greek actually means saved. It means you're, you're made whole. He received more than physical healing that day. He received, he received wholeness spiritually, mentally, and physically. And the other word that I want to point out is that word faith. It was not because he had great faith. It was because he had a great healer. Jesus said, if you have the faith of one of the smallest seeds in Israel, anybody remember what that was? A mustard seed. If you have, if you have the faith of this, you can move a mountain. So that was Jesus' teaching. All you need is this, and you can move that. Why? It's not because of your faith. It's because of the one you're putting your faith in. He's the one that can move mountains. 
And all you need is a little bit of faith. Imagine if you had a great amount of faith, how much God could do in your life. God's not interested in glorifying a man because of what he has, how much faith he has. He's interested in a man glorifying God for the great things that he can do with a little bit of faith. Notice what takes place now as as we see the response. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus, praising God when all the people saw it. They also praised God. See, personal faith in Jesus led to a personal healing, which led to a personal discipleship, which led to a personal witness of who Jesus was and what God does for a man who humbles himself and simply cries out persistently for God in his life. I want to give you two passages of Scripture as we close together. The first one is who you and I are, and the second one is, praise God, who Jesus is. The first one is in Isaiah, Isaiah 5, 59 and 10. It says, like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. That's you and I. We're blind. We can't see. We can't see the things of God and the things that God wants us to see. But let's see Jesus in Isaiah, the 42nd chapter, 6 to 7. I, the Lord, have called you, that is Jesus, the suffering servant, in righteousness, I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles so that Jesus might do what, church? Open the eyes that are blind to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. That's the world that we live in, church. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that the God of this eyes has, this world has blinded the eyes of men so that they cannot see this great redemption, this great Savior before us. Satan has done that, and only God can remove the blinds so that we can see and be saved and be whole. Jesus is asking us today if we see or if we are blind. So the account before us today is a form of irony. It's ironic that those who actually could see were actually those who were blind. And the person that was blind was the one who could actually see. What an amazing thing, how God turns things upside down and on their head. Jesus is asking you today, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Our answer should be, pass me not, O gentle Savior. I want to see. And all God's people said, please, let us close in prayer, shall we?